morning, good afternoon, KPFK in your very own radio. How about that? Huh? By golly, you know you live in Los Angeles, California. You can pick up KPFK on your very own radio anyway, out of Santa Barbara County, 98.7, but for the rest of Southern California, 90.7 FM. Streaming for the world at kpfk.org. Hi, hello, howdy, Michael Benner with Intervision now till 2 o'clock this afternoon. Sort of a wet, soggy, rainy kind of afternoon in Southern California. Which is nice to see. Usually the rain is over by now, by this time of year. But we didn't really have winter, so I'm rooting for more rain. I want to see the grass turn green. I want to see the poppies on the side of the road. haven't seen any of that yet. Keep our fingers crossed, and uh, I appreciate you sticking around here after the news. Hope you can hang with us for a while. As I say, we're here till 2 o'clock this afternoon. Talking about uh, spirituality, comparative philosophy and religion, metaphysics and mysticism, studies of consciousness... What else? Self-realization. Today, we're going to talk about a topic that is related, but you might be surprised in the way in which it's related. I'd like to talk about preventing, and I hesitate to use the word cure because it's sort of a medical term to cure, maybe solve or fix would be a better word than cure. For one of the absolutely scariest experiences, terrifying experiences, that any human could ever have. What, finding out George Bush has been reelected? No, not that one. Panic attacks. We're going to talk about panic attacks today. The, uh, the medical industry, again, is drugging people for panic attacks, and it's not working. Often people have their levels of high anxiety anyway. And uh, the problem is the uh, the sacrifice, what you lose when you start taking uh, these antidepressants and tranquilizers and mood-altering drugs. Now, I know that um, every time I've done a show like this, we've gotten angry phone calls from people who love their antidepressants. And they're upset, and they accuse me of being Tom Cruise and uh, running some kind of Scientology trip here on the radio. Well, you don't have to be Tom Cruise, and you don't have to be a Scientologist to be concerned with the drugging of America, with the fact that millions, tens of millions of our children are on Ritalin. And that just as many people, tens of millions of Americans, more than anybody else in the world, there's no nation that is as drugged by pharmaceuticals, medicines, right? So-called medicines, except they don't cure anything. They just drug you. They stone you. I mean, Pine and Jack Daniels do pretty much the same thing. Some Cuervo or... You know, Smirnoff, whatever your particular kind of poison may be, you could get the same effect, except you'd be drunk. Well, you get a guy in a white coat to give you a tiny little pill, and gosh, we don't call that drunk. In fact, we don't even call it drugged. We call it medicine, right? 
So if you love your medicine, and uh, we're talking again about, gosh, there's scores of drugs here they've come up with. Some of the popular ones, of course, are Prozac and Paxil and Zoloft and Walbutrin, and you guys know these drugs better than I. If uh, you're severely depressed and you're getting some benefit from these, if the shoe does not fit you, then no problem. Go ahead. Do what you need to do. But I'm talking about the tens of millions of Americans, tens of millions of Americans who are taking these drugs and are worse off as a result. And the good news is that uh, you really can learn skills. We're going to talk about them today to prevent and even manage these panic attacks. They used to be called nervous breakdowns. Did you know that? That that's <laughs> In the 50s, that's what they called a panic attack was a uh, a nervous breakdown. But uh, today we just call them uh, stress attacks or panic attacks. And I want to talk about what's happening in your body when you have one of these and uh, why it's absolutely unnecessary in most cases for you to take medicines. Oh, one other rejoinder i got to throw out there because the medical establishment, they really are a sensitive crew. Um, please don't stop taking any pill, drug, or medicine just because I say so. Please don't. Do not do that, because then I get in big trouble, okay? In fact, it's dangerous in some cases to go cold turkey on these drugs. So you've, uh, if, if, if you've gotten hooked on any of these uh, antidepressants, so-called, we used to call them tranquilizers. Mick Jagger calls them mother's little helpers, right? The Valley of the Dolls. If you're on this stuff, you can't just stop taking it. In fact, it's not even a good idea to wean yourself because you don't know the best schedule to wean yourself on. You're going to have to go back to that same purveyor of drugs, the guy with the white coat, or maybe the gal with the white coat, and say, get me off these damn things. I want to learn to deal with life on its terms, you see. You have the ability to cope. In fact, to go beyond coping, you have the ability, if you're willing to read a few books or to study relaxation skills, to practice contemplation, to be more sensitive to your feelings. I mean, has it ever occurred to us that our emotional pain our hurt and upset are symptoms of a condition, really valuable symptoms, that give you an opportunity to learn about yourself. And as you learn and understand why you feel emotionally the way you feel emotionally, you can change the way you feel just like you change your mind or change your behavior. We've got two of the three. <laughs> uh, I always think this is interesting. People know they can consciously change their behavior. And the phrase, to change your mind, is certainly one that people use. Well, I just changed my mind. But you say, well, then change the way you feel. Oh, I can't do that. Well, yes, you can. And there are some pretty good psychotherapists and other workers who can help you do that. But there's a lot of people in the field that are not well-trained and don't know how to help you do that. 
So buyer beware. And when they send you to the white coat guys, you know you're going to get drugs. Again, if you like the drug, if they're working for you, you know, don't let me talk you out of it. I, I'm not going to ask you to stop taking it. I'd like you to go to your doctor and say, get me off these things, because I'd like to practice some exercises. That's what we're going to talk about today. What is a panicked attack? What is happening mentally and emotionally and physically in your body when you, when you experience one of these horrific uh, experiences? It's just, uh, I've never really had one myself. I'm a pretty easygoing guy. It takes a lot to get me riled up. And I'm pretty good at expressing myself, so it doesn't build too much. I have panicked. I, I did have one experience of panic. I was backpacking alone. And it was about 40 miles from the roads. Hadn't seen anybody in four or five days, and I got in a little trouble. And the next thing I knew, I'm running through a swamp. It was pretty freaky. It's a long story, and... uh not exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about those spontaneous panic attacks that happen when you least expect them. When maybe you're standing in line at the bank or you're driving down the freeway or it could be any place and just suddenly you're overcome with this feeling of high anxiety. And then you get in a kind of a feedback loop where you start getting afraid of the fear itself. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And I'm going to open up the telephones in a little while because I want to hear from those of you who have had panic attacks, especially who continue to re-experience panic attacks. What you've done, uh, I'd, I'd also like to hear from people who've uh, had good luck in learning to prevent and manage their panic attacks so that maybe we can uh, help some people today with this horrible experience, because uh, we're being led by people on both sides of the aisle, Republican and Democrat as well, who want to scare the bejesus out of you. Uh, fear is a tool. Fear is a weapon. And fear has a first cousin called confusion. And they work together. Each feeds the other. And so whether we call it anxiety or fear, it has a relationship to confusion, to ignorance, to a lack of awareness and things unknown, which makes us more frightened or anxious or nervous and more worried and therefore more confused and more anxious and more confused and then more anxious and like a tornado. It just spins out of control. And then, all of a sudden, when you least expect it, panic. So that's what we're going to talk about today. I wonder if, um, well, you know, I think a good place to start with this is just to distinguish between uh, fear and uh, anxiety. Because technically... Fear is not a, a clinical term. Fear is not a term that psychologists or psychotherapists or psychiatrists or, or others use. Fear is a response to clear and present danger or a response to imaginary danger. 
That's what fear is. Technically, fear is an emotional, usually an automatic or autonomic response, they say. To fear, to danger, fear is a response to danger, real or imagined. Anxiety, on the other hand, and that's more of a term that's used in the mental health field, to talk about confusion, a response or a reaction to a lack of awareness, to things unknown, uh, to confusion itself. For our purposes today, I'm gonna, I'm gonna use both words, fear and anxiety, and we'll throw stress in as well. I guess those are the big three. Fear, anxiety, and stress, for our purposes today, all the same thing. And then we could throw in, uh, nervousness and worry and doubt and apprehension and, oh gosh, there's lots of terms for it. Consternation and trepidation. But you know what's funny is when you say to somebody, or even to yourself, what are you afraid of? What are you worried about? Why are you so nervous? The answer that comes back is usually, I don't know. And of course, that's the point. So we get our foot in the door. We begin anytime we talk about anxiety, stress, fear, by saying, you're not in that much danger. There's just not that much danger in the world. I know our leaders, our government and corporate leaders, want us to be afraid. They want us to be very, very afraid. We're easily manipulated and controlled when we're afraid. Parents do this. Did you hear the Alec Baldwin tape on the radio or television today or YouTube where he's screaming at his kid? A little bit flip there, but it works. You scare your kids. Um, It's a a very effective form of motivation. We were probably frightened. Well, I know I was as a child. Some of us even terrorized as children. The problem with using fear as a motivator, though it's uh, very effective, very easy to use, is it breaks the spirit. There's a horrible price that one has to pay. We have to wonder about the shooter at Virginia Tech and his background. And what he's been through. Was he bullied? Looks like it. Was he molested or raped as a child? Could be. Or was this some form of uh, paranoid schizophrenia that uh, he had some genetic predisposition to? I don't know. We haven't heard enough information. But it's likely that uh, this fella who last Monday killed himself and 32 innocent people, wounded a score of other people, was not only using fear, but was a victim of fear. It's hard for us to think of Bush and Cheney and Rummy and and these neocons as more than purveyors of fear, but also victims of fear that Bush is a frightened little man, that Cheney and Rummy are terrified, but they are. They really are. They're all worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, Bush, tens of millions of dollars, and they're old, and there's no reason for them to work, much less destroy the world. Why are they doing it? They're frightened. They're looking for power. They thought money and status would do it, and it's not doing it. So 
We use fear. We're victims of fear. There's that whole vicious cycle. But I want you to understand that whether we call it anxiety or fear, stress, nervousness, worry, or doubt, we're not talking about the appearance of danger. This is not a reaction to danger. This is a response to things unknown. Confusing. So again, when somebody says to you, well, what are you so worried about? Hey, when you get those panic attacks, why are you panicking? What's so frightening in your life? And people say, I don't know. Well, I don't know. Well, I'm not sure. It's just all so confusing. That's the point. That's what anxiety is, a response to things unknown. So does that help you understand that famous Emerson quote? Ralph Waldo Emerson, who said, Knowledge and understanding is the antidote to fear. I used to have that single quotation framed in my office. Knowledge is the antidote to fear. See, to understand yourself, you stand at the center of the confusion. You don't know what to do. You don't know what you want. Most of us don't have any idea who we are. That's at the center of things unknown. But then we're surrounded by so much that is unknown. We've lost our connection to Mother Earth. We're urbanized. We've moved into cities. We drive 4,000-pound vehicles at high rates of speed down slabs of cement. In a big hurry to get someplace, we're not sure why we're in such a hurry. And then we turn around at the end of the uh, of the day and we... Hurry back again and do it all over again. You go on vacation and you're in a hurry to get on vacation. And then you get there and you're still in a hurry to have your vacation. (laughs) What's the hurry? What motivates us? It's the fear. Fear of what? I don't know. That's the point. Anxiety, the vast majority of fear. All of your anxiety and stress is about things that are unknown, and most of those things bear directly on who you are. And that's, I, I think that's where we really have to begin. So knowledge and understanding of your life, of the choices that you've made, of who you really are, this is the antidote. Of why you behave the way you behave. Of why you think and feel the way you do. Hardly a show goes by that I don't open it by saying it's Intervision on Friday on KPFK. Intervision, a program about why we think, feel, and act the way we do. Those are the different motives. They they speak directly to our... And though you've heard me say repeatedly we have fingerprint evidence, and DNA proof of our uniqueness, who's even interested? Who do you know, and include yourself in the list, that is fascinated or intrigued by their individuality, by your uniqueness, and really interested in going deeper and deeper and deeper into why you care about the things that you care about. Why do you care about KPFK? Why do you listen to this radio station? Why do you subscribe to this radio station? Why are you a sustainer or a supporter? Why do you oppose the war? Just don't go. You care. Why do you care? 
Why do you care about peace? Why do you care about justice? Why do you care about poverty and homelessness and poor education? See, and many of us, if we attempted to answer that question or those questions, would try to talk in terms of, well, it's the right thing to do or some sort of political or social contract or responsibility that we have, but I'd suggest you go deeper and take a look at who you are that you care, because there's so many around you that don't, that 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 have managed to jack themselves into a place where they don't care about who they are as unique individuals. What we are taught to care about is other people. Be interested in who they are so that you can manage, manipulate, and control what's done to you. The idea that you have a responsibility or an accountability to manage instead, not what's done to you, not the stimulus, but how you look at and respond to what's done to you. And that's the second point, I think, in learning to manage high anxiety, stress, and these horrible, horrible panic attacks is to understand that your emotional feelings, your anxiety, is a response to the world around you. It's not being done to you. That anxiety and stress is very personal. It's very subjective. It reveals your uniqueness. And essentially, what you don't know about yourself and the world around you. In that order, what you don't know in this order about yourself and then the world around you. Again, knowledge would be the antidote. I think that's the second key point I want to make. Have you ever had a panic attack? Would you like to avoid the medicines and so-called the drugs, the pharmaceuticals? Would you like to take life on its own terms? Do you think that there's something in you, some ability that you have to take life on its own terms without taking drugs every morning to cope? Okay. How about that liver? I mean, do it for your liver. If <laughs> if nothing else, that poor liver has to. And my God, have you ever looked up the side effects? Do you ever get your hands on a PDR? Yeah, hell, you can buy them in pretty much any bookstore. I think Costco used to carry them. Physician's Desk Reference. Or there's a much more affordable version simply called the Pill Book that I think is still being updated because there's so many new drugs every year. And you can't find a drug that doesn't have a long list of dangerous side effects. And one of the ironies is that a side effect, a common side effect of an antidepressant is depression. Go figure that a common side effect of drugs used to reduce anxiety is that they tend to increase your anxiety. (laughs) I'm getting mixed reports about this fellow in Virginia, Chow. Is that his name? That's the alleged shooter killed all these people. Some say, no, he was not on any kind of psychotropic medication or antidepressant, but there's some reports that say, yeah, he was. 
And uh, many people who commit these kinds of mass murders and uh, serial killers are on these antidepressants. And it's not popularly understood because people say, well, of course they're on antidepressants. I mean, look at what kind of personality they are. You'd expect to find them on antidepressants. But the catch-22 is, you have to consider, is the antidepressant playing a role in creating even more depression? Is your anti-anxiety medication, check it out in the PDR, look it up in the pill book, go Google the drugs you're on, and see if the side effect isn't, or doesn't include in the long list, very condition or problem that you're drugging yourself against. So sometimes they work, often they don't work. I know people that are on two or three different drugs. They, they turn their bodies into a test tube or a chemistry beaker. And you don't know what those drugs are recombining to generate. You've turned yourself into a guinea pig. You know, new compounds forming in your stomach. In your intestines, new compounds never before, you know, experimented with. And the, the, the doctors say, well, let's regulate it a bit. What does that mean? It means some very attractive, well, it could be a guy, often the drug sales people that visit the doctors are very attractive women. They come in scantily clad with their sales pitch for these new drugs, and let's go to dinner, and let's do this golf thing, and let's fly to London, and here's a check. They get perks. They get kickbacks. Not supposed to tell you that. I'm sorry. But if you know doctors or drug salespeople, you know it's true. You know it's true. So what are we going to do about it? Well, I think people who've had panic attacks, many of them know that the first secret to preventing or managing a panic attack, God, what a horrible experience. We're going to, again, open the phones in a few minutes here after the break. 818, let me give you the number now, 985-5735. You know this number. 818-985-KPFK, 985-5735, the 818 area code. If you've had a panic attack or if somebody in your family is having panic attacks, we'll talk about it. But the very first technique that I think many people do know, even if they are on some form of medication, so-called, or, or, or drug, is breathing. To take a slow, deep breath, a series of slow, deep breaths. Especially if, if you carry a little brown lunch bag with you, a little brown paper bag, and roll it up and pinch the end around your mouth and breathe into and out of the bag at the first sign of any kind of panic attack. What that does is reduce the O2 levels and increase the CO2 levels in your body. People who have panic attacks often report that they feel like they can't breathe, like they're not getting any oxygen. Paramedics show up, they'll ask for oxygen. They don't need oxygen. They're already hyperventilating. They've got way too much O2 in their body. So that's the trick of the little brown paper bag. People have been doing this for 30 years. It's pretty good non-drug alternative for 
creating the balance, restoring the balance, reducing the oxygen level, raising the carbon dioxide level in your blood. And if you don't have a bag, then just some nice, slow, deep yoga breathing. Inhale through the nose, slowly. And as you exhale, ah, make it feel like the sigh of relief, like you're putting something down. Drop muscular tension, step two. Slow, deep breathing, step one. Step two, as you exhale, through the nose or the mouth, Feel some letting go and just stand there. It might take a minute, two minutes, three minutes or more to begin to feel the difference. But inhale through the nose, nice, slow, deep breath. And exhale through the nose or the mouth, slowly, just as slow as you inhaled. And feel the letting go. Another thing you can do is meditate. Meditation as in um, contemplation, where you just empty your mind, one of the more difficult meditative practices. Meditation as in visualization, close your eyes and visualize a beautiful place, a perfect peace, a vacation where you don't run around madly trying to hurry up and enjoy yourself, hurry up and relax. I mean, a real vacation where you just sit on your butt in the jacuzzi in the rain, and you don't care if you get wet, you know. And you're not in a hurry to get any place. You're just sitting in this beautiful place of perfect peace that you've imagined in your mind's eye, or meditation as in chanting, or um, if not a mantra, there is such a thing as a yantra, where you... Do an eyes-open meditation with your gaze softly fixed upon some beautiful uh, imagery, often a mandala or something very symmetrical and balanced, but beautiful and appealing to your higher nature. And a regular practice of this kind of stress management can help you without having to take these stupid drugs. There's other things you can do. You should make sure you're getting enough sleep. Most people do not. You can eat good food. Most people don't. You can exercise. I'll be the first to admit I don't exercise nearly enough. You can get into nature, I think, to reconnect with nature, to go to a city park or Hike some trails in the local foothills, if nothing else. Or or just repot some plants or get your hands into the dirt. That's a very good stress reducer. Also, to express your feelings. Guys, are you listening? I know you think you're all macho and strong and you're not going to talk about your feelings again. Listen to Alec Baldwin today. You'll hear what happens when you don't express your feelings until... You just explode. Talk about those feelings. Express them. Learn to get a little weepy to cry. Find somebody, male or female, who is supportive enough to listen to you without judgment. And also humor. There's not enough humor in our lives, I don't think. So watch John Stewart and Colbert. Or rent some old, you know, funny movies. Laurel and Hardy, Abbott and Costello. When was the last time we saw the Three Stooges? The guys are so goofy. If you can get nice, 
deep, you know, what am I trying to say? Belly laugh. That's the term I'm trying to look for from way deep down inside where you just sort of lose it. I mean, think about when was the last time you really, really laughed? You say, well, there's nothing to laugh at. I say, then turn off the TV. You're watching too much stupid news. And by the way, let me just mention this and we'll take a short break here. Most Fridays I do a commentary on the 6 o'clock news. They put it right at the end, about 6.25, but it's the 6 o'clock news. I want you to listen to the whole thing. And tonight I'm going to talk about on my commentary on the news about the shootings, the slaughter at uh, Virginia Tech this past Monday. And uh, I'm aware of the vigils, the candlelight vigils, and the bell ringing, and the solemn reading of names, and that there was a moment of silence today. But what if we did that every day for the 30 people that were killed in Iraq? You know, the victims' families got upset because NBC received these tapes from the alleged shooter and gave him some kind of publicity or notoriety. Well, we're still doing that with the president, with Dick Cheney, the shooters. These are the shooters. I think we've learned a lot since the Vietnam era about what it means to support the troops. One thing for them to follow orders, to do what they're told, regardless of the battle plan. It's another thing to start an illegal war that the whole world opposes based on lies, without enough troops, without proper armor, without adequate training, and continue to feed our children into the meat grinder. Where are the vigils? For the dozens of people that die every day in Iraq, and I don't just mean American GIs or the mercenaries that we've hired. I don't think we have any more, uh, what is it, the coalition of the uh, willing? Where are they? They all went home. much less the people of Iraq, nearly a million of whom have been slaughtered in this genocide. How about some candlelight vigils? Where's Nora O'Donnell and Diane Sawyer and Wolf Blitzer, who were so solemn this week, and understandably so, for this tragedy in Virginia, but it happens every single day in Iraq. I'm going to talk about that on the news tonight, a little sidebar here. Talk about anxiety, talk about panic attacks. That's our topic today. We'd love to hear from you. We're going to take a short break. And those of you who have suffered from, or perhaps still are suffering from panic attacks, and you know nothing else to do except take these drugs, let's talk about breath. Let's talk about letting go of muscular tension. Let's talk about preventing without drugs, and managing your anxiety in the first place, and really at the root of it all, is to better know yourself. Why are you not interested in your uniqueness? You're in a world where this universe won't even replicate snowflakes. And you've got DNA proof that you are unique. 
wouldn't you want to be interested in that? Especially if the vast majority of your anxiety came from not knowing who you are, what you're for, why you're here. You, got, uh, you could keep taking the pills, but here's an alternative. And again, one more time, there may be people that tuned in late and missed my disclaimer at the top. I'm not Tom Cruise, I'm not in Scientology, and I'm still concerned about the prevalence of these so-called antidepressants, these psychotropic drugs in our society. There is no society in the world that drugs itself like this one. And even our children. We let the school system drug our kids and warehouse our kids for their own convenience. ADD? Just another anxiety disorder. SAD, social anxiety disorder. GAD, general anxiety disorder. OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, another anxiety disorder. Phobias, another anxiety disorder. Today we're talking about panic attacks, another anxiety disorder. <laughs> Where's all the anxiety coming from? We'll find out. We'll go to the phones right after this. You're listening to Intervision, a Friday afternoon on KPFK. My name is Michael Benner. We'll be right back after this. KPFK on your radio, 90.7, all over Southern California. Out of Santa Barbara County, 98.7 FM, and streaming for the whole planet at kpfk.org. My name's Michael Benner. We're talking about... Preventing and managing panic attacks, if you've ever had one, my God, they can just, because uh, I've heard the stories over the years in my practice, uh, you know, it could be some sweet, small, demure, uh, young woman, but often is not, it's some big, strong, husky, you know, like truck driver type, I mean, you just can't generalize about the type of people that get panic attacks, it's not only the weak or only the insecure. It's an epidemic in America. It's endemic to America. It's part of the American nightmare. I, I suppose you've noticed that the American dream has become an American nightmare in the last 20 years, certainly in the last six I watched that documentary the BBC did a few years ago, The Power of Nightmares. It's really a three-hour uh, special, or there's three one-hour segments. I, I've seen the first hour twice, once a few years ago, and then again this past week. I'm going to watch uh, parts two and three again, because it's part of this whole neocon strategy. You know, Dick Cheney, well, we're going to uh, lurk in the shadows. We're going to... Uh, move to the dark side, if you will. Yeah, you damn right. That's what these guys are. They are zombies. They are purveyors of fear. They are fear mongers. That is their weapon. That is their motive. It's about as evil as you can be to use fear as a weapon because it promotes ignorance and confusion, which promotes more fear and more confusion and more fear and more confusion and more fear and more confusion. And then you say, 
So what are you afraid of? Someone says, I don't know. Well, gosh, get it. That's exactly the point. Your fear is not about danger. It's just confusion. Let's go to the telephones. And uh, now I've forgotten what you said. Yashua, Yoshua, you're on KPFK with Michael Benner. Yoshua, are you there? Yes, yes yeah, I am, sir. Speak right uh, up. Michael, Michael Benner, uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, brother, you are totally amazing. Uh, well, thank you. Your, your last statements were, were extremely powerful and healing for those who are dependent on these psychosomatic drugs. Uh, my, my comment and question is really quickly, um, I, I'm a researcher in, in nutrition, and I find it that by eliminating white sugar, merely just white sugar, and bombarding your body with essential fatty acids will offset the damage that's done by these drugs. Omega-3s? Yes, sir. Yeah, that's and, good news. Yes, it, it actually starts to take effect immediately. Now, now you had mentioned... Um, what well, does that include, corn syrup? Corn syrup, that would include corn syrup because it's processed and it is sort of homogenized by heat, by a heat processor, which is still concentrated. Is, is it a simple sugar that breaks down too quickly? Yes, and, and it offsets all the, the various other chemicals that's provided in the food, going back to the corporate onslaught that uh, people are affected by. Yeah. So you're getting so many different types of sugars, which, which, which combinates to that corn syrup, which is really not that bad for you, but the combinations are lethal to the immune system and the nervous system. I see. So when they take these psychosomatic drugs, it creates this conundrum, this, this catastrophe that permeates in the brain. And then if they watch TV, a lot of other effects take place. Most of these antidepressants, so-called, that you're calling psychosomatic, are really serotonin reuptake inhibitors, aren't they? Yes, they are. That's exactly. You Actually, you hit it on the head. That's why I enjoy listening to you so much because you, you hit, you hit on points as right to the key to these matters. See, corporate America, they're also involved with the various think tanks that's in Europe. And these think tanks, they devise all of the things that we consume because basically they want us to have a non-use of will. They're trying to violate our free will, which is based on love and compassion and based on the mother and based on the woman, and based on the man being compassion to that woman. Well, you so, remember, no doubt, Aldous Huxley's book from 40 or 50 years ago, Brave New World, where they just put, uh, he called it Soma, they just put it in the water. Well, actually, that's what's taking place currently as well. They're, they're putting things in the water, like if, if you drink tap water, for instance, you're, you're susceptible, and if you're taking these drugs, it's going to interact with those drugs. Now, if you do those two parts and watch TV, you're in trouble. <laughs> we can relate to that. Okay, give me a parting shot. I appreciate your comments. Well, the, part, the parting shot is I really appreciate your show and keep doing what you're doing because you're right on point, brother. And, and, and word to the mother and, and, and respect females as much as possible and everyone will be okay. Thank you, man. Very Thank good. you. Appreciate your call, likewise. Mutual admiration here on Intervision. KPFK and your radio. Ellie 
in Los Angeles. You're on KPFK. It's Intervision with Michael Bennett. Hi, Ellie. Hi, Michael. Uh, first of all, thank you for this show and this um, freedom of expression, which I value so much. And two comments, um, one about the shooter and uh, one about this uh, subject today. Sure. Uh, when I first heard about him, um, although my heart truly goes out to the victims and their families, and I think we need to look at this country, and we need to look at the people who are not included in our society. And I just thought this poor child um, must have had a terrible growing up all these 23 years that led him to this point because it was a culmination of very bad feelings of what he perceived as society or his schoolmates doing to him. And when we allow someone to feel so excluded that they go over the edge, we also have to look at ourselves as a society. What are we doing to others? And we must have more compassion for others and include them, even as classmates starting, you know, in, in the playground. The second thing is... Let I'm me a- respond to that. No, I, I want to oh. hear your second point, but let me sure. respond to that. Because, especially in right-wing media, but I think most Americans even have a tendency to think in terms of, well, there is no excuse for this kind of behavior. And, of course, there is no excuse, but there are reasons. And I hear you being reasonable, not excusing, uh, but, but we have to take a look at the reasons if we want to minimize and eventually prevent this stuff from happening. And, and I value your comments. I, from the psychotic ramblings that I heard, it sounded like he was at the very least bullied as a high school kid, teased, and perhaps raped, sodomized, or molested somehow, but at the very least bullied. And who knows what else? Maybe some genetic predisposition for psychosis. I, I don't know. I'm not, you know, a psychiatrist. Um, conscious choice I made a long, <laughs> a long time ago. But thank you for that, uh, shall we say, sympathy. Uh, that doesn't, I'm sure, diminish the way you feel about the victims in any way. Absolutely. And I think we need to have more uh, of an inclusive society rather, you know, excluding people and, you know, being snobby or being better than. If I don't hear another politician refer to their base again, <laughs> rather than the American people at large, it'll be too soon. I'm, I'm fed up with the base. How about the citizenry? I hear you. Yeah. And your second point was? Yes, I am not on any drugs, but I suffer from something which I term a an anxiety disorder. And it has, and it's combined with agoraphobia, uh, which makes it very difficult for me to even, you know, leave the house. And the most extreme of this is that I am literally afraid to go to my family's house. And this is where they have the Thanksgivings, the Christmases, the birthdays. And they have been so, these particular people, not all of them, but these particular people in my family have been so verbally abusive to me that my way of coping has been to 
have as little to do with them as possible because they have never apologized or acknowledged their role. And the two of them have, you know, they have this momentum and they've, like, ganged up on me. That's your mom and dad? No, this is actually a, a sibling and um the the two of them and they seem to feed on each other when they get into this verbal abuse are these older brothers and sisters yeah, okay. yeah. and i have been literally in tears at their house to the point of where i didn't even have the strength to get out of the house because i literally dropped to the floor out of weakness i mean i was standing and my, and my knees couldn't even support me wow. i couldn't even drive away and this happened twice. That's how vicious the verbal abuse was. Well, is that the only place you can't go? Um, also to another family member's house. And when there was a dinner three weeks ago in a restaurant, which is neutral territory, that had three other people included, I couldn't even get to that restaurant. Yeah. I mean, I tried, and I, I, I just... I, I was just so overwhelmed with this anxiety that even though there were neutral people there, um, I just couldn't even get out there to go to a dinner. Yeah, I you know, I think you might be uh, a little hard on yourself even comparing that to agoraphobia, or sometimes they call it agoraphobia, which means fear of the marketplace, um, and open spaces and strangers. This is uh, a very reasonable, I mean, this is smart. Avoid abuse. Avoid uh, torture. Uh, don't go. And as long as it's not affecting you in other areas. It you, is. Oh, okay. It is, yeah. I mean, to the point where... You have you a know, problem going to work or school or... Yeah, you know. yeah. Well, then, it, then, then probably it is a fair comparison. But you're right, it is an anxiety disorder. The way it's usually treated is was something called systematic desensitization. Have you ever heard of such a thing? Well, I think it means facing something and going and doing it repeatedly. In baby steps. Which I sometimes do. I mean, when I have my good days, like on Monday, I went out and did all a lot of errands, including things that were difficult. Good. And then you celebrated that, hopefully. I just felt good at the end of the day. Well, that's... <laughs> and then do something nice for yourself. Give yourself a little perk or a reward, you know, a pat on the back if you can reach that far back. And yay, look yay. what I did. Yeah. I'm free. Yeah, but... Uh, it felt good. Yeah, sure. So that's great. Take take baby steps and face your fear. Um, there's a wonderful quote by uh, Eleanor Roosevelt. and She said... Uh, that uh, when you face your fear, the death of fear is certain. And that's the that's the deal about fear. Is when you face your fear, the what? The death of fear is certain. What's that? The D-U-F-F? No, D-E-A-T-H, like dying. The oh, death. Yes. The, yes. Oh, when you face your fear, the death of fear is certain. Exactly. Because fear is the way ignorance and confusion feels. So if you face it, you begin to understand it, and then it ceases to exist. Cool, huh? Well, I, I, I thought by facing my fear, I would get stronger because I was told if you, whatever doesn't kill you will make you stronger. And I feel like my family has 
been killing me in, in small ways. Yeah, but see, the fear is not the abuse or the stimulus of the way your brother and sister torture you. The fear is your concern, I would argue, and I don't know you personally, so this is just a general understanding. The fear is supported by you not knowing the truth about who you are. And so the part, oh. yeah, so the part of you that's not sure whether your brother and sister have a point when they say insulting and abusive things is what empowers the fear. They don't have any power over you. It's the part of you that isn't sure whether they're right or wrong that is generating and supporting your anxiety. Know thyself, and you'll be able to laugh at them, uh, maybe even, I don't mean mockingly, but, you know, just to cast it off, maybe even get to a place of compassion for how pathetic they are that they would try to manipulate you by confusing you. I have felt compassion for them, I'd say maybe a dozen times, and I felt like I had overcome and had some small victory. But then, oh, when the fear is so overwhelming, it yeah. actually hurts my body. I know. And again, I, I would uh, even suggest that you know, words are so powerful. This is not something to overcome, Ellie. This is something to let go. To oh, my release. goodness. See? So a large part of the problem is the way you frame it, the way you... My perception. Exactly. Perception is reality, girl. There is no objective reality. Your reality is your reality. However many individual human beings there are on this planet, that's how many realities are happening right now. And, of course, they intersect. You know, we, we can agree on this, that, and the other thing. But to celebrate the uniqueness of your reality is is to point to the door out of this prison that your brother and sister initially put you in as a child, but now that you're an adult, you've got the keys. Well, I thought no one can control me, and they're not always right. That's one perception. And then I thought, from a more spiritual standpoint, what is the universe showing me? What is the feedback of the universe? It's showing you where you need to go to better understand what a magnificent, beautiful, talented creature you are, yet still unlike anyone else on this earth. Oh, that's what I need to focus on. Yeah. My uniqueness yeah. is okay rather than okay. a handicap. Okay. Well, they're victimizing okay. <laughs> my uniqueness and saying I'm not good enough because I'm not like them. Oh, why would you want to be like them? Well, I thought I was unique, and that's all right to be that way, but they keep pointing out how, you know, I don't fit in because I'm not a 9-to-5 person and good for I'm, you. I'm not the corporate type. Therefore, well, you know, you're just... You know, you're one of those, like, you know, you don't fit in. They're just you're, envious of you're, you. You're not like middle America. And I'm thinking, but what Yay. about the bell curve? That's right. The hell with being like anyone else. Celebrate your uniqueness. Uh, the problem is there's two of them, and they have, like, <laughs> spread that throughout the family Doesn't and matter. friends. Doesn't so. matter. Stay away until 
you get to know yourself better. And as you come to know yourself better and better and better and celebrate that uniqueness, oh, thank you. it'll be easier for you to tolerate. Okay. Thank you so much, Michael. Yeah. And thank you for your show. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you Bye-bye. for calling. Panic attacks. We'll do it again. I want to do a show on phobias in a few weeks. And some of these other anxiety disorders. So much of mental health is not psychosis and neurosis. It's just anxiety. And the way out, really, is to understand some of these basic concepts. Anxiety is not danger. It's confusion. Know thyself and be free. Hope you'll join us every Friday. Write it on the wall. Okay, Intervision 1 o'clock and KPFK. I want to thank D'Angelo Jones for engineering and Brooks for producing. My wife, Doreen Key, for all of her help. My computer people, Kurt Wyman and Craig Duncan and Roy Bouncer. And most of all to you for listening and calling this radio program. Remember the news at 6 tonight. And as always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner. We'll leave-